this is episode 7 of the podcast Going Beyond Salvation, and this is your host, Jess Robinson. And we are in the Old Testament uh, portion of the podcast for this week. And we are continuing on in Second Samuel, in the, the line of David, and his reign over Israel. And as we continue on in, in this story, uh, we'll see what happens uh, with David and what the Lord does with him. And we will continue on and, and talk about that. And we'll just kind of do some of the highlights. Some of, the, some of it we will go in, in depth with and some of it will just be a highlight. Uh, just because of uh, just wanting to make sure we keep this in time. And then once this is done, uh, just stay tuned for the Psalms and Proverbs portion of it. And then later on, the book of John. So we get into... Uh, chapter 7 of 2 Samuel, and we get into God's promise to David. Now, this, the, the word covenant doesn't actually occur in 2 Samuel chapter 7, but it's clear that God was establishing a covenant with David here. And even in Psalm 89 verses 3 through 4, you know, God you know, says, I have made a covenant with my chosen one. I have sworn to David, my servant. I will establish your line forever and make your throne firm through all generations. And then the promise uh, that the throne of God's people be established forever by David's seed is precisely the promise that God made with David in 2 Samuel chapter 7. Uh, Later in 2 Samuel, David himself makes a reference to The Everlasting Covenant, which is in chapter 23, verse 5. And that it refers back to 2 Samuel chapter 7. Uh, The same principles as, you know, we've talked about with covenants in the Old Testament are evident here. Uh, God alone established the promises and obligation of his covenant. And, you know, David was expected to accept it in obedient faith. Um, in this covenant arrangement with David, uh, God made an immediate promise to establish the kingdom, uh, of David's son, Solomon, uh, and Solomon would build a house for the Lord, the temple at the same time, God's promise that David's house or dynasty would endure forever over the, the Israelites was conditioned on the faithful obedience of David and his descendants. So just like even with the Israelites, it was based on the faithful obedience as well and, and walking in faith. Uh, we will see, you know, in the next four generations, the line of David remained unbroken in Judah's throne. But when the kings of Judah, and we'll talk about that as we get into that, uh, particularly uh, Manasseh, uh, and those who reigned after King Josiah, they started rebelling against God by worshiping idols and disobeying the laws. And finally, he did remove them from the throne. However, this also points to, to Jesus Christ. There's messianic part of it to it. And this is, you know, there's this one aspect to this covenant that was unconditional and that the kingdom of David would 
ultimately be established forever, and that was through Christ. Uh, and we and we talk about we talked about in the Gospels, especially with Matthew and Luke, that the line, uh, the lineage that Jesus came from was through the line of David. And we actually see that God cares enough that even though Joseph wasn't his actual birth father, that Joseph did come from the line of David as well as Mary. And so this is established in in chapter 7 of the in in second Samuel and so and we see with David, you know, David so he's like what? You know, he he's you know totally in awe of what God is because when you think about it and they're like, "Well, yeah, you know, God gave it to him because his heart was right and this no, David was not perfect. And we see in, in several instances in, in, in the book, you know, in, in David's story, some of the, where he fails. And we'll talk about some of his other failures as we get towards the end of second Samuel. And, and it wasn't just because, you know, David, you know, what his, his merit or righteousness or good deeds it was actually God establishing this out of his mercy and grace for the sake of his word, the glory of his name, the destiny of his people Israel. You know, this whole Old Testament is just, you know, we look at it and and even Paul, the Apostle Paul will sum it up in, in the book of Acts that, you know, this whole Old Testament is pointing to to God providing a savior and for through his people Israel that that he was he chose Israel to be a vessel that would produce the savior and this is just going through that this is one and it it's through David and that this was going to be ultimately the salvation of all nations and so David accepts that just like Abraham, he accepts it. He accepts it and, and decides, I'm not going to build the temple. Now, he does provide everything for Solomon. He, he provides everything and he, he comes up with the, the plans because he was such a worshiper. I, we know that God revealed the plans for the, the temple to David, but... And, and David does provide, he provides the gold, all the materials that, that Solomon needs for the temple. And we'll talk about that, uh, in, in the future reading. And so, you know, chapter eight was about, you know, David's victories, you know, just some of his victories, who his officials were. And then we get to chapter nine. And before we go into chapter nine, we're just going to take a quick break and and discuss chapter nine we get into chapter nine and it's the story of david and and mephibosheth and now mephibosheth yeah you try saying that name you know five times fast you know, Mephibosheth was the son of, of Jonathan, and 
we see David's heart. He's looking for, you know, for some way to fulfill his promise to Jonathan, his his friend, that and a, a close brother, you know, that he had, and and Mephibosheth was in hiding. Because in that time, when you look at that time period and you see, and you'll see it, like, especially like in shows and stuff, they really portray this, especially in History Channel, that essentially that when somebody else took over and they were not of the bloodline of the previous ruler, then the sons, daughters, wives of this ruler was essentially they could die. And so Mephibosheth was in hiding, essentially, because he was thinking, maybe David will kill me because I come from the line of Saul, not realizing that his you know, father and David had made this, this promise to each other, you know, years before. And David seeks to fulfill that promise. And that's, it just shows David's heart that he really wasn't about, you know, revenge, but he was there to fulfill promises, his integrity towards other people. And so we have this wonderful story of where Mephibosheth comes and David treats him with such kindness and grace. And Mephibosheth is just going, wow, you know, I don't deserve this. And he and it's kind of you know an image in a way of our relationship with God you know we don't we don't deserve his grace and love but he he gives it freely and we see David gives that same you know love and emotion to to Mephibosheth freely and so it's just an amazing story and then we you know, we get to chapter 10 and David defeats the Ammonites because of the the not so wise counsel of this this ruler and they they disgrace David's men when David was coming with honest sincerity and 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 all of that. And so we see that. And that's just an interesting story. And it, and we can learn from that as well. That, you know, to be careful who whose counsel we listen to. And and because of that, that's what happens. And But really the main focus here is David and Bathsheba in chapter 11. And what is really sad about this story is... From the start, it says, in the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men in the whole Israelite army. He didn't go. The first thing that he didn't do, the things, the thing that he did wrong first off was he didn't go off to war with the rest of his men. And they think that he was about at the age of 48. There's some differences, but... He didn't lead his army into battle. Now, when we go forward in 2 Samuel, we see a chapter in, in there where he ends up struggling to fight. And his men say, no more will you go into battle. And 
I don't know if that was probably when that happened and this incident happened afterwards that he didn't go out to battle because of that, because of what his men had said. I don't know, but even though he wasn't going out or, you know, he wasn't supposed to go out into battle doesn't mean that he couldn't go um, and stand back, but we see that he doesn't. And this causes him to, and we know that, you know, from what we've read, you know, David's weakness was women. His weakness was women. And we see that he has several concubines and that he's married all these women. And then we see the strain between him and Michael and Michael never has kids, meaning that he never laid with Michael ever again uh, because of that fight. And we see that he's up on the roof top and he sees Bathsheba bathing. And instead of turning away, he, he has her brought to him. He welcomed that temptation into his own home. And it, we can take that as a lesson that sometimes, you know, we welcome temptation into our home. We welcome it. And I'm not saying anything bad about Bathsheba. I mean, she was sent for and she, she didn't probably know what was going to happen. Essentially, she probably was just sold, uh, told that King David and, you know, her husband's and Uriah is in the military. You know, King David had called her to his presence. Now it's late at night. I probably would have been suspicious if I was Bathsheba, but, you know, maybe she thought that there was something happened to Uriah and she was being brought in. I don't blame Bathsheba. A lot of blame gets put on Bathsheba. Um, I don't put any of the blame on her. You know, but I also don't put all the blame on, on David, but really he welcomed temptation into his home instead of turning and running from temptation, you know, going to one of his wives, one of his many wives, you know, he, he covets after the one thing he doesn't have. And sadly, you know, when we look at when we're sinning and even I look at that as when I'm struggling, is it because of un, you know, unrealistic desires, you know, unrealistic expectations. And we do see that too, when it comes to adultery, uh, a lot of times the enemy likes to make spouses see that there's unrealistic expectations that were met and they, they focus on those unrealistic expectations and think that's just because something, you know, seems better, that they're justified by that. So he sleeps with her, and what's the next thing he does? You know, she, he finds out, oh, she's pregnant. He tries to cover it up. You know, we can see that in this whole time, and we've seen David, he always goes to the Lord. In this one time, he doesn't go to the Lord at all. He doesn't, he, he goes to fix the problem on his own. And how many times, you know, when we're in sin, are we trying to fix it on our own? Trying to, to get out of it on our own. And instead of owning up to the mistake, but he's trying to get out of it on his own. And it ends up getting Uriah who, 
And we see Uriah, the integrity of Uriah compared to David. He has Uriah brought thinking he's going to go sleep with Bathsheba. Then they'll say, oh, that's his baby. That's it. And Uriah doesn't because he's like, no, that's not fair to the other, to the other men out in the battlefield. And we see such integrity in Uriah and sadly he, he's, he's killed over this situation. And then David has her brought in, they, they get married and they go, oh, you know, yeah, she got pregnant after we got married. That whole cover up. But we notice that, and she, you know, bears him a son, but the verse that at the end of chapter 11, it says that the thing David had done displeased the Lord. We think that our sin is not seen by the Lord, but it is. You know, we can hide it from people, but we can't hide it from God. And just because we think we've gotten away with it doesn't mean we haven't gotten away with it. So... We're going to take a quick break and then jump into chapter 12. So we get into chapter 12 and I think David and them thought, oh man, we're through this. God uses the prophet Nathan, the same prophet that, you know, goes to David to you know, prophesy, you know, this covenant, he also goes to rebuke David. And Nathan doesn't right out go and confront him. Nathan tells a story that gets David worked up. And then Nathan says, well, you're that man. And he rebukes him. And we see here, and this is the difference between David and Saul. You know, Saul was so focused on what other people thought of him. At this point, David says, I have sinned against the Lord. And we get, and then we look at Psalm 52 and where his heart was that, oh yeah, I really screwed up. And Nathan, he tells him, you know, the Lord has taken away your sin, which means he, you know, eternally, he wasn't eternally damned. But it, you know, it didn't mean that he, he wasn't going to face the, the repercussions of what he did. And because of that, the child that is born to them is dies. Um, and we see, you know, I think, you know, because we see that he stays married to her. I think the Lord wanted him to, to put her away, but we see that he ends up, you know, sleeping with her again and they have Solomon. Now, Lord, the Lord ends up using Solomon in wonderful ways. And, and and even though Solomon falls, he has, and it's because, yes, he, he saw what his dad, how his dad lived. And, and because of that, and we, as we continue to read on here, 
the repercussions. And, you know, Nathan prophesies that somebody close to him is going to you know, sleep with his wives in, in public. What you did hidden, the Lord's going to make public. And, and that's how it is, is we may sin. And yes, we ask for forgiveness of sins. But there are people that still have to deal with the moral repercussions. You know, the, the repercussions that deal with it, you know, especially, you know, when it comes to adultery, there's a lot of healing that has to happen in, in regards to adultery, especially if a child, you know, so the person is pregnant, you know, there's that repercussion that there's that child and, you know, in today's standard, that person, you know, the, the husband, the man has to pay for the child support, you know, and, and it's not just, you know, only men that cheat. There's women that, that commit adultery as well. And they have to deal with the repercussions of that as well. That's the thing about it is, and it's not just adultery, any kind of sin, you have to deal with the repercussions of that, you know, going down the road and we see that happens we see a disintegration of 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 David's family starting with Ammon and and Tamar you know his his son rapes this you know Tamar who is Ammon's you know half-sister he rapes her you know and that and then Absalom kills Ammon and you see, you know, what, what happens with Tamar, it says, you know, when, when King David heard all this, he was furious, but does he do anything about it? No, he didn't do anything about it. He was angry at the rape of his daughter, uh, by his firstborn son. However, he doesn't bring himself to rebuke and punish Ammon as he should have. His own, David's own sexual immorality with Bathsheba had weakened and undermined his ability to discipline his own kids and manage his own household. And I've seen that, you know, in, in all of that, because, and it happens, you know, the, the father or the mother commits adultery, can commit sexual morality, and the kids go, well, you're telling us this one thing, but you're doing this. And they essentially go down the wayside and and kind of do whatever they want because they go, well, you're essentially living two lives and, you know, how? why should we believe you? You know, his poor example... Destroyed his moral influence with those under his care. And it's the same way in, in the church. We have to, especially if you're a leader in the church, you have to be example of holiness, being set apart, you know, and rebuking sin. Because, and, and you know, not every church leader is perfect. You know, every, you know, every church leader, you know, they're still human. But when it comes to major sins, such as like adultery and, and, and all of that, you are still held accountable 
as well. And so his family starts going downhill. You know, Absalom kills Ammon. And he takes, you know, the revenge himself. And then he, he, he's banished. And, and David is grieving for his son this whole time. He's relieved that Ammon has, you know, been killed. But he's, he's crying for Absalom. And then, you know, Joab comes up with this way to get King David to bring Absalom back. But somewhere along the line, Absalom, you know, he was getting power hungry. And he conspires against his own dad. And, and we see David's heart when this all happens. And then sadly, you know, and we can learn a lot about this with David as well in, in this part of the, of the book is of Second Samuel. We see that when David has to flee, his heart is mourning for his son who's lost. And, and it does teach, you know, parents that they should mourn when their, their children are not following in the way of the Lord. They should mourn and, and pray for them. And his whole heart's desire was to see Absalom, Absalom reconciled to him. But it doesn't happen. You know, and, you know, and as he's fleeing, we see these several things, you know, where Ziba, he, he betrays Mephibosheth, as we find out later, so that, you know, he can gain material gain. We see Shammai, he curses David, and David doesn't fight back. He realizes that what he, the life he lived, and he's taking this punishment from the Lord, and he says, if God, and even with, he doesn't even have the ark bring, brought back with him. He goes, you know, if God wants me to come back, he'll bring me back. You know, that was his whole attitude that whole time. And, and we see what Absalom does. He listens to the advice of Ahithophel and sleeps with David's ten concubines. And we see what happens to them. They live as though they're widowed. They're under guard and he never lays with them ever again. And we just see this, this disintegration in his family. And it comes to the point his son Absalom is, is killed. He wasn't supposed to be killed, but Joab doesn't listen. Because jo- that's how Joab is, is. He doesn't listen. And he kill, has Absalom killed. And then you know David mourns. And then Joab gets mad. There's this whole thing. You know, and people ask me, well, was that wrong for David? I don't think it was wrong for David to mourn for for his son. You know, that was his son, Absalom. And we know from David that his character was that he he would mourn for the people that would try to hurt him. And now do I think he discouraged his men? Yes, but at the same time, Joab was at fault because he wasn't supposed to kill Absalom, but he did. And we see with Joab his insecurity because he gets taken away from his position and he kills the guy that is supposed to take over. And we just see all this happen. And even then, even though Absalom is killed, there's still 
rebellion happening during this time. But we also see David, he doesn't, you know, Sheba comes, or not Sheba, but Shammai asks for forgiveness. And and Sheba ends up, this rebellious person ends up, you know, meeting his fate. But we see that's, you know, this this falling out in, in David's family. And we'll see it continue to happen in First in Kings. And that's what happens when, when you welcome sin. Sin breaks down family. Sin breaks down, especially adultery. We see with adultery, it breaks marriages. It breaks families apart. You know, kids are negatively affected by it. You know, it's, it's something. And, and today, you know, adultery is embraced. It's embraced because we're told, you know, follow your heart. And, you know, the heart leads us to, to doing the wrong things. You know, we need to be going based on the word. And so we see that. So we're going to take a, a break and jump into chapter 21. We get into chapter 21. Now, chapters 21 through 24, these are supplementary accounts related to David's reign. So they're kind of out of chronological order. Uh, they're, they comprise of an appendix to 1st and 2nd Samuel. And several of these events actually occur in in early in David's reign, you know, for example, 22 is a a psalm that he essentially sings when, you know, Saul and all of those had been taken care of that we see later on in the book of Psalms. But we jump to chapter 21, and this is during David's reign and the Gibeonites, as we all remember in the book of Joshua, they had gotten a vow from Joshua and the Israelites through deception to to not be killed or destroyed. And somewhere along the line, Saul had massacred some some Gibeonites. And we see in in chapter twenty one there's this famine. And what does David do? He sees there's a problem and he goes to the Lord about it. He goes, Okay God why is there a famine? Are you trying to get our attention? So, and it's something that we can really learn from. You know, we've learned from David over and over. Go to the Lord, especially in things like this. Go to the Lord about it, going, what's going on? What What are you trying to tell us? And not saying that, you know, that God, you know, causes bad things to get our attention, but Bad things that happen, things that are going on, might make us think what's going on in our lives that the Lord is trying to get our attention on. And so we get to that and he tells them it's because Saul, you know, killed these Gibeonites because he, even though the vow was done through deception, the Lord still honored it. And it just shows that 
you know, breaking a vow was a serious transgression against God and his law. And, and because of that, you know, David goes to seek and make it right. And we see that, yes, several of Saul's descendants are killed other than Mephibosheth because of David's, you know, promise to, to Jonathan and the Gibeonites are avenged and then the famine goes away. And so when we realize and it, we can take that lesson in our lives that when we realize there's something not right, we need to one, go to the Lord and pray about it. Seek his face about the, what, what is going on? Listen for his voice. And when he tells us what's wrong, we need to, you know, may it be asking for forgiveness, you know, maybe whatever he is speaking to us about, we need to react. You know, it requires action on our behalf, what he tells us. And because of that, God hears his prayer and the famine goes away. Uh, in chapter 21, there's also the war against the Philistines. That's where we get in that that section about they were not going to let David back in the battle again. And then we go into chapter 22, which is a, a psalm we've talked about. And, and so I'm not really going to go into it. And so that is essentially it for, for the Old Testament this week. So for next week, we're going to finish out the book of Second Samuel. We're going to read uh, chapters 23 and 24. And then we're going to start in First Kings chapter 1 and go through chapter 9 verse 28. Feel free how to break it up however. And uh, so we're, we're slowly closing the door on, on the story of David. However, we'll be revisiting it, it again in um, First Chronicles and in, in several weeks, but so we'll be doing that. And so I'm going to end in a prayer and I just want to say, thank you, Lord Jesus, for who you are, God. We just give you the glory and the honor. Lord, I just pray that you would just touch us, Lord, and that Lord, Lord, let us seek our face to you, Lord God, and that Lord, we repent of any sins that we have committed, God. Lord, speak to our hearts as we read your word and reveal anything that we need to change in our lives, Lord, to, to be right with you, God. And let our hearts become like David, filled with worship and also filled with conviction with conviction when, when we need to feel conviction, God. Let us know you, Lord God, more and more every single day. And we just thank you, Lord, for all that you continue to do. Just be glorified and honored in Jesus' name. Amen. Stay tuned for uh, Psalms and Proverbs. Mm -hmm.